you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Eric the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erina Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sweet Victory and Jay Mack are on tap to help us navigate the show. Um, yesterday, we did not get through all of the content that we wanted to get through, so mm-hmm. hopefully we can move a little more expeditiously, as the hall monitors used to say. It's all up to you. Get to you know, I deserve that. I deserve that. I don't expect it, but I deserve it. Okay. And so I can take it. Um, yeah, I'm going to do better. It's just, it really is. This nah, is what I it actually, comes down to. I actually brought you off, you know, a little bit yesterday. So I had some comments. You Truth know. be told, <laughs> you do that frequently. Like you'll oh, kind okay. of like egg it on a little bit. And then it's like, ah, you know that I cannot chase certain rabbits. Like yeah. I just am going to go. Uh no, it's fine. I'm it's it's good. I do want to work through the content a little more quickly because I don't want to have a part 3. And I I want to get ultimately to the point of why we have these kinds of discussions. There's so many things that we can talk about in a day. There's so so many stories to filter through a biblical lens and you know discuss with our families who listen in and mm. even in some ways help to foster a discussion that might happen might happen uh, around the dinner table mm-hmm. later or, you know, on the weekend or something like that. But uh, this is important. It's un- it's so important for us to understand what we believe. If if we are saying that, uh, and by the way, let me, let me back up here. Yesterday we were talking about the Ligonier Ministries uh, survey that they do uh, biannually. Uh, it's so 20, we're in 2023. So 2022, the results are in. Uh, the state of theology, what do Americans think about religion? What do they think about faith? And then also, what do evangelicals think about religion and faith? And by the way, if you weren't uh, dialed in yesterday um, to get the definition of what an evangelical is, at least as defined by LifeWay uh, Research, then you can get the podcast from yesterday. Uh, The name of that show is What Do We Believe? Today, the question is, but who do you say that I am? That's the question today is, but who do you say that I am? And one of the things that I find really striking in Jesus's conversation with the disciples in Matthew chapter 16 is that, you know, there is the question of who do men say that I am? And the disciples go through and and they're saying, you know, some say John the Baptist, some say, and, and then Jesus says very pointedly, but who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. And I think there's one thing that we cannot overlook in the re-asking of that question with the emphasis on you that it matters what the followers of Jesus Christ say about who he is. Right. I mean, men can say many, many things, right? But it matters, it absolutely matters what the followers of Jesus Christ say about who he is. And I guess that's the thing that I find most startling. Before we get back into the report, I will just say this. So we brought uh, some of this survey to our dinner table last night just to have a discussion We knew that our older kids would be able to engage a little bit more than our younger kids, uh, but still they need to hear, right? They still need to hear these questions and hear Mm -hmm. the conversations and kind of process the information. 
And Will the Great, there was a point that you made last night that I thought, you know, to to be fair to um, those who would participate in this Ligonier survey, yeah. I think the observation that you made was a good one. And, and it may have been based off the way our kids began to think about the questions. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah. Yeah. And as, as we were going, as you were, you know, reading the questions to them and I, and I, I started to think about even the state of the church for what we know uh, today. And I thought like, man, the people who were presented with these questions, mm-hmm. I wonder if they thoroughly like, you know, understood what the question was saying, or if they would even like give a give a, a thought out answer. So, if yeah. you're saying that um, uh, you believe that God can can learn and and adapt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and some people and they're thinking they're like, oh, learning and adapting is a good thing. Yes, God can. You know, what I'm saying they wouldn't think as deep as deeply as they should about it. I, I think there's a lot of people like that that on the surface. And especially with the culture, what it is now, it's like, man, no, that's those sound like good things, you know. Yeah, man, God, you know, He's loving. He can adapt. He can, and but not really understanding God. You yes. know what I'm saying? And not yes. uh, not the nature of God, the attributes, and who he, who He really is. And so I think that there were a lot of people probably that answered those questions, but in a in not a very thought out way. Yes, or or if it's possible, maybe they overthought the question. Maybe they thought the question well. was asking something that it wasn't asking. And and I, I can say that for us, just reading the questions, you know, and you can't filter everyone's response to a survey based on what your response is, right? right. You're trying to take all of the responses and compile that information, and you're you're endeavoring to get a picture of people but I think it's important. And so I'll give our listeners just an example. We're talking about this state of theology mm-hmm. survey over at Ligonier Ministries. You can go and check it out for yourself. You want to quiz yourself or quiz your kids uh, to see what your state is. Like, what do mm-hmm. you know about the faith that has been passed down to you? Do you know it in and out? Uh, one example to the point that you're making, Will the Great, is this question. Um, let's see. So religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. Now, our kids in response to that said false, but then they said, but wait, wait a minute. What is that asking? They said, is that Mm -hmm. question asking, is a person's religious conviction a matter of their opinion? Like, is it is is the question saying that it's their opinion, what they believe? Right. Or is the question saying that true religion, Mm. that just religion, period, like that, which is to be validated is a matter of objective truth. Now, of course, our kids ask us that. We are sitting there. We're able to walk them through that question and get to, okay, this is the heart of what this question is asking, which, by the way, it's the latter, right? That Jesus Christ is truth. Mm -hmm. So all other religions are false. Right. (laughs) Jesus Christ is truth. He is the only way to God. All other religions are false. So because that is true, religion is not a matter of opinion. You can't just... Feel your way to God. Like if, mm-hmm, if religion mm-hmm. has an end, right, and all religions promise something, um, if the promise that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ is forgiveness of sin and eternity reconciled to the one who made you, then that alone is true. And in fact, belief in that mm-hmm. cancels out every other religion. So then there's no room for uh, for opinion. But we're able to have that conversation. So as we were kind of going through this, I thought, Man, I wonder how many 
evangelical Christians, because look, I can come off the top ropes. Okay. When we start defining terms and we start talking about who missed what question, I I do feel a little bit of like a tap the elbow. You're getting this. Like, I can't believe, you know what I mean? (laughs) However, I will say that when you start to hear the way people process the questions Mm -hmm. and namely people are children. Okay. Mm -hmm. The way they process the questions. Yeah. It, it led me to believe that maybe maybe there is more hope than we're giving evangelicals now, credit for. And I, I will say that question was one that was kind of like, wait, wait, hold up, wait a minute. Let's take you our know, time with it. And yeah. I think it, even in the beginning, J.D. was kind of like overthinking, like are these too much. trick questions? Like, yes, too but much. But at the end of the day, though, we have to say they were kind of offended at the Some ease of, the of yeah. a lot of the questions. So that's I, a fact. I think that, you know, um, some of it, some of those questions does did did not take like a, a deep deep dive. No, no, no. You know, they did not. Right. So there's no excuse for those, and that was a lot of them like yeah. that. But yeah, there was I would a say few, that question you know, question that God learns and adapts. They were very offended by that. Yeah, like they were very offended by that, and, and I was glad. Like, no, <laughs> what God learns, you know, and and so I don't think you know, and even with people trying to be. Generation, and we talked about this yesterday, um, thinking through the implications of what we are saying becomes so vitally important, right? Like if we're not just saying that God changes and and so that therefore, you know, becomes relevant to us in every generation. And then we put that in a category that does not attack the aseity of God or the character of God or the nature of God yeah. to suggest this in any way. And we, we kind of left it here yesterday to suggest in any way that God changes really does strike at who God is. It's mm-hmm. to say, so, cause Sam Witt, who is six, mm-hmm. you know, um, no, I think it was Nathaniel, Nathaniel, who is eight. He, he asked the question, what does it mean to adapt? Yeah. What does it mean to adapt? So I tried to simply explain. So to change, so as to be able to survive or to function in whatever environment you're in, hmm. Right. Now, that's a basic example given to an eight-year-old. Right. And so then my question is, so can that be true of God? Does God need to change so that he can survive in whatever environment he's in? And then we talked about people living up north, how, you know, they have adapted to the cold up north. They come to the cold in the south and they wear shorts. They're like, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> you know, but think about what we are saying that God is not perfect, that he needs to change, that there is something that uh, is not immutable about God. And mm. and I don't know if people can understand how egregious it is to strike at any of the attributes of God. If you remove, if you temper with or tamper with tamper. Yeah. Tamper yes. with uh, any of the attributes of God, you're no longer talking about God. He is who he is and he is all of who he is. Right. Mm. If you remove any for the sake of your worship, if you remove any of who he is, you are not worshiping him. Right. And I think that's what so many people have missed. This is why I have a problem. And then I'm going to get back into the survey. This is why I have a problem with some of the songs that we sing today about God. Mm-hmm. Because some of the songs seek to strip God of the totality of his attributes in favor of one and to exalt that one as if to look at the others, you know, that's we don't that's we don't want to deal with that. You know, I, mm. I know that there must be more to you, but I can't get past your goodness. And that's the, in the essence of God that's being created by 
the persons, you know, that that putting that that's putting that out. Like it's it's a God of your own making. Yeah. You know, it's not the God of the Bible who, you know, uh, has judgment and wrath, you know, mercy right. and grace and love. Amen. You know, Amen. all of that, you know, but all of that is who he is. You just want to kind of cherry pick one thing that we like. And that's the nature of man to do to do and, that. And by the way, the God who we serve, who changes not, who does not change, reveals his attributes in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so if I could just run a highlighter over that one more time, this idea of the God of the Old Testament, ha, and the God of the New Testament, ha. You know what I mean? Like this idea has really messed up a lot of our kids. And I think this is why they're unable to engage the culture. This is why they don't know how to respond. They don't understand what things are the mountains that we must die on. Um, I'm Look, I'm going to die on the mountain of defending the attributes of God, that all of who he is is who he is. Yeah. And, and, and it's so almost inexpressible that you have to just agree with him that he should be referred to as the great I am. Mm. Boom. Like it's so inexpressible, like to to try to um, explain all of who God is. Mm. Now, there are things that have been revealed to us that we can um, we can speak on those things and we can share on those things. And we find it in Scripture, obviously. But to really express, you know, I don't know. You have that feeling where you're just like, ah, you you, words fail you to Mm -hmm. be able to describe who God is. And so anyway, I think it's important for our kids to understand that. It's also important for our grandkids to understand that. So let's jump back into the Ligonier um, survey here, looking at the state of theology in this country and also among evangelicals. Uh, next question that we want to just kind of pull out of the survey and discuss, looking at some of the some of the highlights of the information that was collected. Uh, this question, are we born innocent? Mm. So this this is this is the basic question. Are we basically good? Right. And so it's statement number 15 and it's everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Now, U.S. adults, 71 percent agree that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Twenty one percent disagree. Seventy one percent of U.S. adults agree that we're born innocent in the eyes of God. But then when you get to evangelicals, 65 percent of evangelicals believe that we are born innocent in the eyes of God. Evangelicals, right? Evangelicals, again. And wow. so I don't think that this is a question that demands a lot of explanation, actually. No. I think that this is foundational to understanding the gospel. Mm. So we'll pick up right here on the other side of the break. This is Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio, the state of theology. We'll be right back. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, Fullness of God in hell, let's obey this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to say. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We sure do appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for taking us along as you are in the car rider line, um, as you are driving. Uh, for a living. We hear from you and we appreciate you more than we can say. Thank you for listening to us via podcast as you fold those little t-shirts that you can't perfectly do because they're too small. So thank you so much (laughs) for that. Thank you for taking us along on your leisurely walks or when you're running on the treadmill or outside 
cutting like the grass. Boss. Cutting the grass. It's about to be the, the thing the lawn. Now. Yeah, that's about, <laughs> it's, it's it's about to be that time of year. Uh, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Um, anytime we talk about something, if you miss an episode, you listen via radio, you can always go back and uh, get the podcast. You can slow it down and, and you can play it back, which is what I sometimes do when I listen to podcasts. What did he say? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. just want to get it again. Um, <clears throat> anyway, all of that to say, we appreciate you. We're talking about the state of theology. Can I say something? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> I say can. I mean, That's you know, a literal question. Stop you. I know. Well, you could. You could say no. <laughs> Keep moving on. Um, this idea, and and we, I know we've already exhausted it. Well, we have not exhausted it, right? But just a thought occurred to me during the break. This idea that God learns and adapts, and what what we understand about adaptations, that those adaptations occur for the survival of those who adapt. And this, I I was just sitting here thinking, wow, you know, it really would serve so many purposes um, to think of God as adapting, right? And and there would be people, I think, who would believe that they are serving God well by trying to adapt him, Mm. right, to the current climate or the current culture and say, well, if if the knowledge of God is going to survive, then we've got to change who God is so that he survives in... um, excuse me, 21st century America. Mm-mm. And indeed, I believe that this is what you see happening in some of our churches yep, in this definitely. country. Certainly it's what's happening among those who are Christian in name only, but um, this idea of God needing to adapt. Right. Uh, this is what's happening in the Church of England. Like this is, oh. this. these are the debates. Yes. This, this is the discussion that is happening. And, and it just blows the mind that you would have it's someone crazy. say, well, you know, when the Apostle Paul was writing about for example, homosexuality, <laughs> he did not know, you know, and, and then to, to have it rightly point, pointed out that, okay, but all scripture is inspired by, breathed out by God. Amen. So whether Paul knew how people would look at homosexuality or view it, <clears throat> doesn't matter. God knew. Yeah. God, God knew. Like, that's what I was, the point I was trying to make yesterday God is not growing up with us, quote unquote, not living life with us. <laughs> you know, the places that we get in the future, mm-hmm. God has already been. Again, ask Job. Come on. <laughs> Amen. And the thing Amen. is, when you think about it, you know, we're talking about God not not changing, uh, immutable. Mm-hmm. Man, when you think about it, over all this time, he has not changed. Amen. You know, culture has changed. What people say is right and wrong is constantly changing. But man, the, but those who know their God, we know that He's not changing, he and he won't, and his word Amen. will not change. It, it's an amazing thing that through all uh, time, you know, he has remained the oh, same. From, yes, a, you know? from eternity. Amen, amen, Man, amen. That's, that's, yeah. and, and that should be comforting to us. Uh, Isaiah chapter 46, I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. It says this, uh, remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. Mm. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning (laughs) and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established Mm. and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. God is not experiencing life with us. You Mm. know what I mean? Like we Mm -hmm. think that he's learning with us. And and this is such a dangerous thought to even entertain. But I think anyway. Maybe we've exhausted that enough. So I'll just move on here. So the statement, are we born innocent? Wow, this is problematic, right? Because if we are born innocent, then this calls into question the justice of God and the reason for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, This also calls into understanding the rebellion 
uh, the reason that a savior had to be born, had to come into this world and be like us to save his people from their sins. Uh, This idea that we are basically good people and then we sometimes kind of do bad things flies in the face of the systemic sin. And we love systemic stuff. It flies (laughs) in the face of the clearly depicted systemic sin that we find in Paul's letter to the Romans. So again, U.S., in the U.S., 71% of adults say that we are born innocent. But among evangelicals, among evangelicals, 65% believe that we are born innocent. Now, let me... So I have a question one, about that. Go ahead. Well, okay. I want you to finish No, you point. go ahead. Go ahead. And then so, I'll, I'll just... Because this is one here. of those questions where, if, okay, we know from Scripture that, you know, born into sin, shaping it in iniquity. We know, like, you know, that's... But I wonder if people were thinking, okay, when a baby's born, if they um, if they die, we believe that, you know, they're going to go to heaven. Now, that's some, you know, so I wonder if people were overthinking this question, hmm. you know, to think uh, like, yeah, babe, born innocent. Like, they don't have, even know until the age of accountability what, you know, what, you know. So I, I, I just wonder. Oh, and I guess man, I'm, I'm giving too much. That's a good out loud wondering, though. I, I could... <laughs> I could see that, though, Will the Great. I could see that being some of the evangelicals sort of justification for their response. Here is what I would say, though. Here's what I would say, because I am reminded Mm -hmm. of David when he lost his son saying he will not come to me, but I will go to him. And so recognizing that this child was um, was going to go to be with the Lord and, and David knew where he was going. So I understand that here here. Just okay. so. I think we have too many scriptures to show that sin mm-hmm. is systemic. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, how do we reconcile the the systemic sin that we all suffer from? And what I would say, as is displayed in the Old Testament, God's mercy. Well, I would say that one does not cancel out the other. I would say what you see is a mercy that God extends. Now, look, the the exact age at which, you know, God says, you can choose. I don't know how all of that works. And and guess what? I am secure enough to say I don't know. I'm secure enough to say that that is God's prerogative and he will do what pleases him. And I will also say and agree um, that the judge of all the earth will do what's right. Mm. The judge of all the earth will do what's right. Listen, Amen. I was talking to our kids yesterday. I'll say this and then I'll go into the scripture. <clears throat> I was talking to our kids yesterday. Uh, Timmy, who is to who so many of you have already met and many more of you will meet <laughs> as we get into the thick of traveling. Um, and so some people have said, now we get to put a face with all of those stories. Yes. Here's another <laughs> one. Okay. So, so Timmy, who is to ask me for a piece of candy mm. and I gave Timmy a piece of candy and he put the candy in his mouth and then he started to kind of like audibly suck on the candy mm-hmm. like you know right. right and so you see his life flash before your eyes and so I go <laughs> son stop that if you do that again I am taking the candy from you that no sir you could choke on that don't do that you know so he says yeah ma'am okay and then he walks away from me and I hear him <laughs> rebellion rebellion mm-hmm. so I grab a paper towel and I go because you got to follow through, right? Mm-hmm. You got to follow through. So I go over to him with the paper towel and I put it under his chin and I say, and he's two. I say, put the candy in the paper towel now. 
without protest. He puts the candy in the paper towel. He doesn't cry for it. He goes on with life. I believe probably thankful that that was the only consequence. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And I take the candy, I ball it up in the paper towel and I throw it away. And then I turn to JD and Gabby and everybody's surprised because he usually throws a fit right when he wants something. Mm -hmm. I said, guys, did you notice that he didn't throw a fit? And they're like, yeah. And I said, can I tell you what happened? He knew he was wrong. He had already been told what his judgment would be if he transgressed. Mm -hmm. He knew he was wrong. So when I carried out the judgment, he did not protest because he knew he was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, guys, the same is true for every human being. Come on. We have inside of us an internal register that we are not good. We are not good. Mm. So if we stand before God, having not had our sins atoned for by Jesus, okay, no one will question God's judgment. Why? Because each of us, the Bible says this, we know it's true. The reason we don't see more people repenting and the, the reason we don't see more people leaning into the evidence that they have both internally and externally, according to Romans 1, the reason we don't see people leaning into that is also because of what it says in Romans 1, that men suppress the knowledge of God in unrighteousness. Mm. So they just they just sing louder. You know what I mean? They just do mm. more sin, yeah. if you will, yeah. or sin more so that they don't have to hear those internal registers that say you're wrong. Mm. When I go over to the two year old and I, I told so here here was the prohibition. Don't do that with the candy. Right. So now he's got a conscience that is connected to this action. Don't do this. So the moment he does it, he knows that it is sin. Mm -hmm. He knows that it deserves judgment. So even the two-year-old is willing to face the consequences because of that internal register that, oh, I'm wrong. Mm. So how much more so for every person? And this is what I mean when I say the judge of all the earth will do what's right. Mm. There will not be anyone. There will not be anyone to give an account to God who will say, uh, I can't believe you're doing this. Right. Now, there may be people who, as the Bible clearly says, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and didn't I do that, right? But the Lord will say, I never knew you. Mm. Depart from me. I never knew you. But let me tell you this. The judgment of God will be accepted. The judgment of God will not be challenged. And why? Because inside each and every one of us, we know that we need to have our sins atoned for. We know that we need someone outside of ourselves to do what we can't do for ourselves. And this is why this is foreshadowed in the Old Testament. It is not it is not the bulls and the sheep that justify them. It is God's receipt of that sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It is God's extension of forgiveness that justifies them or that offers forgiveness to them. All of this is a foreshadowing of the lamb who is going to be slain in the New Testament that we put our faith and our trust in him and all of the wrath of God that we see displayed over and over and over again in the old Testament, that doesn't just vanish because you turn to the second half of your Bible, right? All of that wrath, mm. all of that judgment, all of that punishment is poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. that he stands as the propitiation. He stands as the substitutional atonement for us. He's in our place and the wrath of God is poured out on him so that we don't have to suffer that. Yeah. Now, my point is this. When we look at who God is and we say, are we born innocent? No, we're not born innocent. The Bible makes it very clear that through Adam, sin entered the world and through Adam's paternal line, mm -hmm. sin came to all men. Guys, which is why 
Jesus <laughs> is conceived of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Which is why when Jesus gives his life, he is able to die for your sin, mm. not his own. He does not have Sinless. that systemic That's sin. Right. That's right. Guys, we, we have to understand this from a deep conviction, and we've got to be able to communicate this to our kids. I want to share with you. Okay, so looking at the evangelicals, 65% of evangelicals believe that everyone is innocent in the eyes of God. Everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. And then I guess at the point that we sin, then all of a sudden we are tainted. No, even even David said in, in sin, did my did my mom conceive me? Mm-hmm. Like he's he's recognizing that man. I'm 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 born into sin. Like I'm I'm this this is who I am. This is my lot, and this is the truth for all of us. None of us is good. None of us is righteous. In That's fact, right. it is only in Jesus Christ that we can be justified. So in Romans chapter five, um, I'm going to start at verse twelve, and maybe go to verse nineteen, but we'll start at verse twelve. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world. And death through sin, and so death spread to all men, mm-hmm. because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. Guys, this is so important, because all of the gospel is wrapped up in, it's all tight, it's one package, this The gospel is one package with the accurate presentation that we are systemically sinful. This is the reason that Christ came. This is the reason that Christ gave his life for us, that Mm. he was the sacrifice for us because sin is in our DNA. This is why one has to be born again. Amen. One has to have a new nature. One has to have the imputed righteousness of Christ and one has to be born again. The Holy Spirit has to indwell one for one to have this newness of life. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. Now, let me say one of the things that is troubling to me about that is that if we're not all systemically sinful, mm-hmm. if we're not all, um, you know, born with a sinful heart condition, then this also calls into question not only the necessity of Jesus Christ, but the efficacy of his blood, mm-hmm. the potency of his blood. You have to understand it wasn't just and because we sometimes sing about it, it can become a little bit, you know, familiar to us. And sometimes it can be, I don't know, trivial. You know, we just don't give the blood of Jesus Christ the weight that we should give it. But we have to understand that the shed blood of Jesus Christ, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. Mm -hmm. That the the shed blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It is the unrighteousness that is in our system. Mm. It is not from the thing that you did. Oh, I'm sorry I did that. No, it is because of who you are. Mm. It is you as a person. And this is what people have to understand. It's not just, I'm sorry I did that. Oh, Jesus died for what you did. No, Jesus died for who you are. The Bible says that you were the objects of God's wrath, that the wrath of God was on you. But Jesus Christ, the propitiation for our sins, stood between us and God and took that punishment. It's because of who we are. 
that Jesus died. And we've got to understand that that is a non-negotiable. Aaron the Addisons will be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Donnie McClurkin with Stand. We can get some calls queued up. You guys want to talk back on this 888-589-8840, talking about the state of theology uh, in the U.S., but also among evangelicals. What is it that we believe? Um, what do we say or who do we say that the Christ is? Are we telling the truth about who our Savior is? And are we maybe even un- unwittingly um, saying things that aren't true. Like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we, we don't even realize that we're saying it. I want to rewind here. Cause I said, you know, Jesus came and, and lived a sinless life so that he could stand in our place. He could be the propitiation for our sin. He died for who we are and, and for what we do. And, and I want to make sure to make that point clear. Here's the thing. You do what you do because of who you are. In other words, you sin because sin is in your system. So I don't mm-hmm. want to separate those things as if like he came to die for who you are and as if the external displays of who you are are unimportant. No, <laughs> right, the right. external displays actually confirm for you that, oh, I need a savior. Right. I need a savior. Like it is it is Romans seven. Right. It is like, oh, wretched man that I am. Like, why do I keep doing these things that mm-hmm. I don't want to do? Mm-hmm. And the things that I don't want to do. I keep, no, the things that I want to do, I don't do, right? I'm right. probably saying that out of order. Please forgive me. We get Lord. it, though. Okay, but you understand what I'm saying. It's Romans 7. Romans Go and 7. read that. Romans 7. Uh, this this struggle that we're in, this battle, because of the battle between the new man and the old man. And I know that's a that's a lot of conversation. But, guys, this is the faith that has been passed down to us. It's the gospel that has once and for all been received by us. We have no other gospel. There's there's no you, you can't adjust that. Mm-hmm. You can't amend that. You can't make it 21st century relevant. No, it's the one faith that was received, that was passed down, that we have received. And we have an obligation to pass this faith down to our children and to our grandchildren. It matters what we say about who Jesus Christ is. It matters what we say about the church. It matters what we say about what holiness is. It matters what we say about what God's word is. Another aspect of this survey is what Americans believe about the Bible. I mean, this is interesting. And here, this is from Ligonier uh, Ministries. U.S. adults increasingly reject the divine authorship of the Bible, relegating it to the same category as other religious writings and purportedly sacred texts. This view makes it easy for individuals to accept biblical teaching that they resonate with while simultaneously rejecting any biblical teaching that is out of step with their own personal views on broader cultural values. Mm. Guys, this is what we see happening as it pertains to the sexual revolution and its most recent iteration, which, I mean, to me, it seems that it's kind of reached its fullness. I could be wrong on that. But now I think what you're seeing is the culture lurching back and saying, you know, we actually can't just be anything. (sighs) They're saying we actually can't be anything but it's too late because so many of our churches have already kind of like you know gone through this whole like contortion where they've Hmm, tried to be accepting 
And so they've already said, you know, if we want to bring the Bible into the 21st century, we ought to. Uh, let me finish that for you. Leave it alone. If you want to bring <laughs> just, the Bible, just bring it. <laughs> just bring the Bible. As is. <laughs> I know, to, you know. Lily Great. We're just simpletons. Like we don't, we I don't mean, even. Hey, but, you know, yeah, bring it as Here it is. <laughs> the Bible, according to this Ligonier survey, the Bible, however, is a unified message. I'm reading here from the one true God. As such, it is to be embraced in all its fullness as God's perfect revelation to humankind. We must conform our lives to Scripture rather than twist Scripture to suit our lives. And this is important, by the way. Let me tell you, if if you encourage your kids to read the Bible and you encourage your kids to really think about what they're reading, they're going to have some questions just as you have questions. And please don't mistake the fact that you're able to read something and say, hmm, I don't really understand that, but I trust the Lord, and then move on. Don't think that your kids are going to be able to do that. We've got to be ready to answer those questions. In fact, I'll say this before we go to the phone lines, we got a question like this just this past Sunday morning. Will the Great, you remember? Like here we are in the mix of getting ready and, mm-hmm. and ironing clothes and all of the things that go into eight people oh, the, trying to the arrive. Paul, the, Paul you know, question? the Paul question. Yes, yes, yes. So yes, yes. here is JD. He's ironing his shirt. And just as he's ironing his shirt, he says, I have a question. He goes, you know, the times where the Apostle Paul says, um, <laughs> I, not the Lord, say this. Mm-hmm. He goes, if all scripture is breathed out by God, what do we do with the portions where the Apostle Paul says, I am saying this, not the Lord. Like, mm-hmm. how do we now let me just pause for a second, because I want everyone to go. Mm. <laughs> like, I want everyone to think about that. Now, for some of you, you've already thought this through. And so this may be an easy response for you. Right. But as I listened to his question, I thought, you know, J.D., that's a great question. And it's so important for us to begin with the fact that the Bible is consistent. And so we can trust what the word of God says. Mm-hmm. And then as Will the Great walked in and we we're kind of continuing the conversation, we restated the question. And Will the Great said, you have to understand that everything that is written in the scriptures is written for our learning. So there are things in scripture, even from Old Testament, you see that there are things that are descriptive and prescriptive. But then also recognizing that the Apostle Paul has been given the authority to write doctrine mm-hmm. for the church. Mm-hmm. Right. So here we see the dual authorship of the scriptures where you have the Apostle Paul saying, look, I wish that everybody could be single like me. But each person has their gift. OK, now I don't say this to you as a command. I say this, not the Lord. What does that mean? Does mm-hmm. that mean that the Lord is not inspiring the words that are being communicated, that the Holy Spirit is not? That's not at all what that right. means. Right. The Apostle Paul is full of the Holy Spirit. He is writing under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, even in the expressions of his great love and concern for ministry and how people might best be able to serve. But, hey, listen, if that's not your gift. Each person has his or her own gift. It doesn't mean that we make light. And one of the things that you pointed out that I thought was so important is that if we can't answer these questions, there are people who have used this mm-hmm. to say, well, you know, we don't have to put full weight on what Paul says. Right. Yep. But actually, we do have to put full weight on what Paul says. Amen. The, Apostle P- the Apostle Peter actually confirmed that we need to put full weight on what the Apostle Paul says. Because why? He's writing scripture and they know he's writing scripture. Right. What does the Apostle Peter say in his second letter? He says that the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, says that the Apostle Paul, this is, I want to say, um, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. I'm doing that off the top of my head. Somebody fact check me on that. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, I think. Uh, If I'm wrong, somebody correct me. But this is what the Apostle Peter writes. He says that there are the things that the Apostle Paul writes are difficult to understand. And he says the wicked twist these things to their own destruction 
just as they do with the other scriptures. Mm-hmm. Guys, we don't have to guess at whether or not the apostles knew that they were laying down God-inspired doctrine for us, that they were writing scripture, that the parchments were important because they <laughs> tell us that almost in real time, if you will. All right, let's go to the phone lines, 888 888- Five eight nine eight eight four zero. Will the Great? Where do we go first? All right, let's go to Jerry in Texas. Hi, Jerry. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. Yeah, I I agree with everything that you say as as always. Um, I'm a sixth grade Sunday school teacher. I've called in a couple of times, but just this past Sunday, for example, going off of the authority of the Scripture, one of my kids, uh, I had to go all the way back to Genesis to prove to them that the secular education they're getting is falsified Mm. if you look into the scripture they asked about dinosaurs being alive at the time of man and i had to go back and say well the bible clearly states he created all land animals on what day and they all said sixth day correct so if he created all land animals what were most dinosaurs on the land okay so there's no prehistoric (laughs) era ah yes and they their minds were like wait a minute our teachers have been telling us that dinosaurs existed before man. I said, but what does mm. God's word tell you? Mm-hmm. This is where you have to push back because mm. the secular world will lead you to believe a lie. And this is what I have to counter, and I'm not probably the only one, but it's the, it's the basic fundamental. I even had to go back after that to tell them this is why in the study, why we need salvation is because of the original sin that was caused by that creation that God made on the sixth day. Mm. This is why we need the Savior. Mm-hmm. This is what frustrates me, not as a sixth grade Sunday school teacher, but as a parent of children that yes. I try to educate biblically, because they have to counter and be prepared to counter that that they will encounter in the world of wow. the secularists. And it irritates me, and I'm sorry. Sister Miki, I don't know who's going to get more heated about this, me or you, on this one, because it infuriates me. I love it. And no. I, it drives me up the wall when I talk to other Christian parents, and they don't feel the same, I call, justified anger in it. That's right. But mm. they will send their kids and not pay attention, and they come to my class, and I tell them, sit down with your parents, ask your parent this question, show them, tell them mm. to show you in the Bible mm. where it says this, counter it and ask them the question. Yes. If they cannot answer it, bring them to me and we can sit down <laughs> together sit down and together. Oh, amen. Oh my goodness. Listen, this is what we need more of. This I got to say this warms my heart. It's not that look, I share your righteous indignation. But but in this moment, I feel a great deal of joy because I think that this is where we need to be. This is where we always needed to be combating those destructive ideologies mm-hmm. that are in the world, threatening the faith of our children. And that is exactly what you did. What you just walked us through is a textbook example of the attacks that are on our kids who receive a secular education. We've already looked at the data that shows that the the decline of religiosity in America is directly connected to the receipt of a secular education in America. Mm. So what happens is kids are learning that, hey, what I believe on the weekend is more akin to like a fairy tale. That's that's not really real. But but five days a week, eight hours a day, what I'm taught here, this is real. 
These are the people that I'm told who are my leaders. These are the people who I'm told they are the learned ones. And so these are the people that I need to follow. So, you know, all of this, this idea of the, the, the six days of creation, the seven day God rested. I don't really know how to fit that into what I'm learning here on, on the evolutionary, you know, um, what do you call it? Uh, curriculum. Like, right. I, I don't know how to fit that in. And this idea of like, you know, prehistory, like what, what is it then? Right. What, what's before history? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, what is before what is before history? It, I mean, isn't that the whole idea of it that that it's all history? And then and then to just add to our righteous indignation here, then you've got a big problem with Job, who clearly the Lord God is able to use a description of some what sound like you know quote unquote prehistoric, just using their language here, uh, creatures. God is able to use those creatures to give a point of reference to Job. So. This idea of man not existing with the dinosaurs mm-hmm. is is um, is a foolish man-made science, if you even call it that. I use it loosely. <laughs> but can I say this and then we'll move on? Uh, this is one of the many ways that Satan attacks the foundation of the faith that we try to pass on to our children. Yeah. So look at all that it took, you know, to kind of combat that. It's going to take that and mm. so much more that we're not doing. Yeah. All right. Will the Great, where do we go next? I'm going to Lisa. I just want to say. Oh, can I say the, the sec- reference? Yeah, Second Peter three sixteen. Three sixteen. Second yes. Peter three sixteen. Very good. Let's go Thank to Lisa so in Tennessee. Hi, Lisa. Hey, how you guys doing today? Hello. Great. Hey. <laughs> uh, no, when you was talking about, um, the, you know, God changing, uh, they was talking about could God change to suit the culture. And I was just struck by, you know, when when you're learning the Bible and even when you come across things that are new to you and then you've got to search them and research them. And so if he's constantly changing, then, you know, how are you going to know what to believe is right? Exactly right. It's very difficult. (laughs) Man, that's a great point. It's very difficult to believe and trust in something that changes over time mm-hmm. because at what point do you start your belief? It's like, okay, well, I, I believe what is I, what, 21st century America. I believe that, but like 18th century America, then my parents believe. And, and that's a, a lie and deception of the enemy. It is look, it is of necessity for the, the character and the greatness of who God is. And my words fail me here that he does not change, mm. that he is who he is and who he is is fixed. He has no need of anything or anyone outside of himself so that he would change or adapt or learn or grow or shift. There is none of those things in him because he exists of himself. Let's try to squeeze in one more call. Will the Great, where do we go? All right, let's go to Luke in Texas. Hi, Luke. Yes, good afternoon, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the culture changing of the church, uh, I've got a question about the, the women ministers. Because mm-hmm. it seems to me that Paul wrote that uh, he did not allow the women to be over men. Mm-hmm. But this has even changed in my church. And hey, I started to go to the church as a, a bus kid. But anyway, uh, yes, it seems to be changed. And the, uh, the, the pastor said, well, they were saying the women were separated at that, that time and calling out and interrupting the service. So what's it, what is it? Oh, man, I think that the, there's a yes. two-part question to what you're answering. There I'm going to try to, in a short way, just explain. 
the office of elder and overseer in the church, the Bible clearly lays that out, that that is limited to the role of men Amen. or to the the sex distinction of being male. The Bible is very clear about that. But the ministry that women are able to participate in the church is robust and it's wide. But there are limitations for the order of the church. And it's likened to the order of the family, that men are the head of the family. If we change what we're doing in the church, then we... Well, probably we already have in many ways <laughs> changed what we're doing in the family. Maybe more on this um, until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.